This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Malcolm Thatcher, Chief Technology Officer at the Australian Digital Health Agency. It's a statutory authority in the form of a corporate Commonwealth entity with a vision to create a healthier future for Australians through connected healthcare. In this interview, we discuss how technology is shaping digital health going forward and how we get to the vision of connected healthcare. Mao talks us through the agency's mission to develop a collaborative environment that accelerates adoption and use of innovative digital services and health technologies, whilst also addressing key systemic challenges such as interoperability, privacy, standards, and how that applies to the National Digital Health Strategy Framework for Action. Our discussion works through the agency's interoperability plan and why that's key to success for digital health, as well as the agency's mission to develop collaborative environments that accelerates adoption and use of innovative digital services and health technologies. And so if you're wondering how modern healthcare will look with digital health fully embraced, or thinking about how healthcare can fit into people's lives, schedules, goals, or aspirations, and what Australia is focusing on to develop and support a collaborative environment that accelerates adoption and use of digital services, you'll get a lot out of this episode. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Mal. How are you today? Terrific, Yanni. Wonderful to be with you uh, in this podcast. We're looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, likewise. I've been uh, waiting a long time to get you into the studio to have a chat. It's been uh, definitely a busy year and a bit now. But before we get into what you're currently doing with the Australian Digital Health Agency, talk to us a little bit about your journey, Mal. What brings you to this point? What's been your journey professionally that lands you in the seat of the Chief Technical Officer at the Australian Digital Health Agency? Look, it's been a nearly four-decade-long journey. It's interesting when I reflect on the path that got me here. But I'm a career technologist, have always been in technology, undergraduate study in maths and computer science, and then postgraduate study in complex systems modelling within computer science, then finally through to a PhD in digital risk and governance. Throughout my career, you know, I've probably spent... Roughly half my time in large corporates leading, you know, technology adoption and the other half time as a consultant doing similar things, but, you know, with all due care and no responsibility as consultants usually <laughs> frame their services. And I really had an opportunity in the early 2000s, someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, interested in healthcare and my initial reaction was oh no that's too complex I don't want to go there you know I'd worked in government mining energy but I thought well you know I don't really know anything about healthcare but I thought well you know it's, it's interesting and so this was for the Mater Hospital Group in Brisbane their inaugural CIO and I thought well I'll have a chat to the CEO see what they're looking for maybe there's a connection there somewhere it was really talking to that CEO, Dr. John O'Donnell, where it was like a light bulb moment that this is something that I could really pursue with passion. And I threw my hat in the ring thinking little chance probably of landing that role because I'd been a consultant for 15 years. But, you know, six interviews later, <laughs> I ended up with the role and it was a role I absolutely loved for over 10 years at that organisation, being, you know, church-based very mission values focused and working actually in hospitals so seeing the personal journeys that patients and their families and friends take every day was very humbling and really sharpened my focus on what the true value of digital in healthcare could deliver it was just a wonderful time in my career and that led to me becoming a on an advisory group for the Director General of the Queensland Health Department that then ultimately led to my appointment as Chief Health Information Officer for Queensland Health and then Chief Executive of eHealth Queensland. You know, that was big G government in terms of the politics and the collaboration or lack thereof in terms of how the health system connects and really gave me some wonderful insights into 
the health system more broadly in Australia and how it operates. And then the opportunity came up under a new CEO at the Australian Digital Health Agency for a Chief Technology Officer. You know, really, for me, healthcare is, is a real passion. Healthcare and education are, are real passions. And it was too good an opportunity to pass up. Extraordinarily grateful that I was successful in attaining this role and, and supporting our CEO, Amanda Catamol, and the, the executive team at the agency in what is a truly extraordinary program of work over the next few years that will, I think, allow the agency to fulfil its purpose, which is to enable digital health in this country and to enable interoperability to allow consumers to be, you know, strong advocates for their healthcare, you know, not just patients passively receiving healthcare services. So it's a great time to be in digital health. It's, it's quite a journey and I'd echo your thoughts there around the Australian Digital Health Agency. I think in some areas of healthcare, the Australian Digital Health Agency is a lot more prominent than others. And uh, it probably doesn't get as recognised as much out at a street level as I think it should, because that term enabling, I think, is really at the heart of it. And I think there was something else you were talking about earlier through your own career to date is, you know, working through those collaborations and collaboration, enabling, community, personalisation. There's a real Venn, there's a real nexus between all of these things that at a system level, we've got to try and figure out how to make this happen. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not too concerned that the Australian Digital Health Agency is not a household name. You know, we're, we're not frontline healthcare providers. We're an organisation established by Australian governments. So it's not just the Commonwealth. So the state jurisdictions and territories are, you know, all have skin in the game. You know, we're established really to be that glue between what is a very broad and complex ecosystem of healthcare provision. And one of the challenges for government generally in terms of the digital age is how to perceive the citizen in terms of what a day in their life looks like rather than see it as a discrete set of services that are provided to citizens. And healthcare is a really good example of that. So the healthcare system in Australia is a very good system, but it is still dominated by a payment system that rewards activity. So it's very episodic. And the most common complaint you will hear from someone who's a frequent flyer in the healthcare system is having to repeat their information constantly. You know, so I think the opportunity for digital government more broadly is to really think about how do we put the consumer of services at the centre of that framing and how do we ensure that all the connected parts of service delivery actually understand where they sit in the life of that consumer? If I could sum up what would be a, a great outcome for the Australian Digital Health Agency, it would be to provide that interoperability capability across you know, the entire health ecosystem from primary care, acute allied health, aged care, the diagnostic service providers, pharmacies, that complex ecosystem, how can we actually get them connected but with a view of holistic view of the patient would be great. That is 100% agreement from me as far as that goes. I couldn't help but feel that there's, there's a domain here overlay with what you're describing there in customer experience design, the empathy that we have for the recipient of that service or set of services really puts us looking back at ourselves through their eyes and being as empathetic as possible with what it is to walk in their shoes, not just in consuming a service, but also in living their life. Is customer experience design part of the philosophy of the Australian Digital Health Agency at the moment going forward, or is that just sort of a, a happenstance, a coincidence of domain alignment there? No, it absolutely is, Yanni, and I'm glad that you actually raised it because one of the initiatives underway within the agency is to establish a customer experience centre in, in our Sydney office initially, but also looking at our other offices in Canberra and Brisbane, noting that when we talk about customer, we actually service a broad range of stakeholders, and yes. in particular, an important group in that are the providers. So when we talk about customer experience in our context, it's... Yes, the, the consumer is at 
absolutely the centre of everything we do because ultimately, you know, what we're trying to contribute to is the safety and quality of healthcare. Something that I recognised early in my health IT career, that safety is probably the number one issue, I think, in healthcare delivery. Uh, and I won't go into a lot of the data and stats that I, that I could quote, but it's still a significant problem in, in all around the world, not just in Australia. So when we talk about that customer experience, part of creating this customer experience centre is to be able to simulate both for a patient and a healthcare provider how digital health can actually enhance the healthcare journey for, for both. Because there's no point having all this great technology for consumer outcomes if we can't get the providers to actually utilise it effectively. So that's definitely part of, of the future way of working of the agency is to make sure that that experience component is something that we dive into in, in a lot of detail so that as we're looking to bring innovation and, and that interoperability to the healthcare ecosystem that we do it with, with that experience lens. And you know, I, I think the team are doing a, a great job in how they're modelling that out. I, I love that. I love that. I regularly talk in and around our communities around an acronym that I've coined that leverages CX. It's, it's, it's called DHX or Digital Health Experience Design. And how do we actually do that? Understanding how to design through the lens of a journey for a human being is super exciting. And it actually de-risks businesses and, and models and systems in a way that I've never seen before. You know, I've been involved in business for almost three uh, decades and the way we used to do it was a lot of hard work and a lot of speculation compared to where we are today. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful model. I'm really delighted to hear that CX is, particularly that centre of excellence is at the heart of uh, what the agency is doing at the moment. That's fantastic. Is that accessible to the public or is that sort of a laboratory of sorts? It is something that we're contemplating and, and I have to give a shout out to our Chief Digital Officer, Stephen Esser, who's, who's leading this initiative. And certainly I know his passion for how we engage consumers definitely something, but it's not a walk-up experience centre. It'll be an experience centre focused on particular initiatives and how we drive those initiatives. But certainly having consumer representation in that is going to be critical. And this is all part of the digital revolution for, for digital professionals, isn't it? To think about human-centred design, design thinking, systems thinking. You know, th these are all important skills, not, not just for digital professionals, but for managers, you know, more broadly within organisations. It's rethinking the way in which they view a problem and how that problem can be solved. Certainly putting the key stakeholder at the middle of that can only add value. I think you've already made the point there that when you use a term like customer, you put a definition to that. And so it can be applied in any context. So we've got the provider and thinking about the provider's life, what it's like to be in their shoes. And, and I think that's a really important element of approaching any kind of strategy in healthcare. I think the tech is really the impediment. The tech promises a lot. You know, we can make tech do anything within human possibility, but if humans won't use it or adopt it, it's it's useless it's it's inert so in my mind i've kind of coined a term that one of the barriers for change in healthcare is really about the human cultural innovation not just the technology innovation what are you, what are your thoughts on that yeah look I, you know just on that usability issue i'm putting my academic hat on for a moment there's a lot of behavioral intention theory that talk to usability of technology and the intent or the, the way in which users might think about their intentions to adopt technology or not based on, you know, a, a number of utilitarian components of the technology. So it's vitally important that technology, the utility of technology, and particularly in healthcare, you know, whether it be for providers or consumers, it's just got to work. We know that sometimes the steps we go through to get to ultimately to the functional feature we want, you know, there's sort of multiple steps to get there. And that, that's not what consumers want. You know, they, they, they want simplicity. They want the complex to be turned into something simple. That's definitely an opportunity for us as we think about healthcare moving forward. And when you think about sort of the fourth industrial revolution and the, as we start to integrate Internet of Things, more devices, 
consumer-grade devices into the healthcare journey as we start to link machine learning and artificial intelligence into the way we predict human behaviour or human outcomes or health outcomes. You know, the, the opportunities for us to rethink the way in which we're engaging consumers as part of that, I, I think, is really exciting. The, the challenge, of course, to your point on technology, you know, the, the technology is there. It's how we implement it and how we take people along for that journey. You know, in my experience as CIO in healthcare organisations, the, the, the biggest challenges were always around the adoption, change in adoption. So change in clinical practice, change in behaviour and culture that is still aligned to ultimately the perception of their roles as healthcare providers. It definitely goes there because, you know, I use the word culture in, in the general sense that, you know, a, a given organisation or business or health provider service, they have a way of doing things. And that way of doing things is carefully preserved through clinical supervision and a, a handover through from academic into the workforce into the actual supervision model. And it's, it's, it's done for good reasons, you know, in order to keep quality and to minimise risk in delivering healthcare services. But then technology, if so health tech is introduced, for example, it then signals a change of the way that we've been doing things. And so that cultural innovation now needs to happen in order for the adoption of the, the new culture, I guess that's contained within the context of that new system. You know, if I could use a, a term where software could be seen as canned culture or culture with some rails on it because it's proposing to do things this way instead of doing it that way. And so it would challenge the user then to to be able to say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Why do we need to do it this way? And that then becomes an impediment, so to speak, because the, the technology alone can't answer that question. That's That's what I was yeah. trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can give a small plug to the book I wrote, which is around digital risk and governance, you know, it talks specifically to that risk of attitude, you know, attitude towards the technology. Does this threaten my autonomy as a clinician? Does this, when you think about decision support in, in clinical care, so you're placing an order for something and the system saying, no, you can't order that. So, you know, that, that cultural shift to trusting the technology and being prepared to, I guess, you know, collaborate with technology. So think of it like, a, you know, the, the third person in the room, the, the clinician, the provider, of the, uh, the patient, and then the technology all working together for the, the right outcome. Absolutely. So, so let's get into uh, uh, the agency. So you've had about six months now in the seat. Been over four months. Oh, four months, four months. Four months. Yeah. Um, still newbie. Still newbie. <laughs> I guess that that initial expectation that you had, and and now four months later, how are you feeling about everything, and how are things shaping up for you in terms of what you're responsible for, and and where you see things unfolding over the next planning horizon. Well, you know, like coming into, I think, to any organisation, you have moments where you go, well, I didn't see that in the brochure. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's there's definitely some of those moments where I really didn't have the, the, I guess, perception or anticipation of just how large the work program is for the agency and how rapidly we are moving through that work program. So, you know, in part, this has been accelerated through the Australian government's response to the pandemic. So we've all had to work quicker, harder, faster in meeting those challenges. And I think for the Australian Digital Health Agency, you know, if I can talk candidly without getting into too much trouble, we've had a bit of a potted history. And that that's come about because there's, you know, to some extent, our, our history has been you know, dictated by technology of over a decade ago and how we approach that technology. You know, the world's moved on significantly since the initial inception of the My Health Record and its predecessor, the Personally Controlled Electronic Health Record. And the rate of technology change, you know, I keep saying this kind of every year, it's never been greater. And so next year I'll say the same, it's never been greater. But 
you know, it, that also brings great opportunity. And that's, I think, why I've been brought into the agency is to really grasp the opportunity to look at how, coming back to our original conversation about technology being an enabler uh, or the agency being an enabler of the digital health ecosystem, that is our future calling and something that really can set Australia apart. You know, we, we have a good health system, but it's fragmented. You know, we have multiple payer environment and with that comes its own challenges. But I think, you know, te technology is in part part of the solution, but also, you know, what we talked about before about cultural change in the way in which technology is viewed and trusted, not just by providers, but by healthcare consumers as well. And, you know, critical role for the agency is building trust in, in all our stakeholders, that what we do make sure that information, health information is protected. And that, you know, if, if I could point to a, a single key responsibility and accountability of this agency, it's to, it is to do that. I can see that. I've, I've been working in working groups with the Australian Digital Health Agency for many years and have always been impressed at that co-design, co-create aspiration in bringing together industry participants in having the hard discussions around competing proprietary interests that get in the way of a national interest or of a consumer interest. The agency has performed excellently as far as I'm concerned. I'm a big advocate. Not so much the Netta days, the pre-Adhar days. They were a whole different kettle of fish, but I think the ADHA onwards has been a fantastic example of co-design, co-create, cooperate, and really showing leadership in overcoming those challenges in the healthcare system because I, I can see it just from my point of view in, in healthcare, there's so many generations of technology on the system side of healthcare and all of those add value to their respective user communities in a variety of different ways but they're hard to change because they reflect and indoctrinate a whole bunch of standards and expectations in terms of how healthcare was back then and all of a sudden the world is changing so fast I see this real tension across the healthcare workforce where there are aspects of the healthcare professions that have had a lot of work done on standardisation that, that has been institutionalised within those clinical systems, whereas there are other parts of healthcare that haven't been as standardised. And they seem to be embracing innovation a lot faster and powering forward with new models of care, whereas other parts of the healthcare industry are almost captured by the way things were, were put in place at that point in time and and everybody's right and everybody's wrong and it's very complicated. So I don't envy the position of the agency, but I, I just think it's doing a remarkable job given all of that complexity and all of those stakeholders. And so I'll bring us back to the word interoperability because I think interoperability is the key. It's the absolute solution. So perhaps in your words, tell us what it means and how how does it... How does it act as an enabler for Australia to move into a digital health world? Yeah, we, we could have a whole session, Yanni. <laughs> I know. Because it, it is the key for digital health in, in not, not just our country, but I think, you know, more broadly across the world. And healthcare is a complex sector from an information management perspective because it's, you know, the complexity that we deal with in this sector is around ambiguity of information. And the ambiguity sits partly because we have some structured data, but we have a lot of unstructured data in healthcare. And so the challenge for interoperability, which, you know, in, in broad terms is simply the ability to exchange information between parties where the information is understood, you know, and can be, can be utilised effectively. So the, the challenge for that in across care settings is simply the fact that that ambiguity that exists in, not, not in terms of a clinician being able to read something and understand it, but for a computer to read something and understand it. You know, so that ambiguity in terms of informatics, clinical terminologies, the clinical data sets in, you know, in a, thousands of different scenarios is really where the complexity sits for the healthcare system. So interoperability is critical, but there's two types of interoperability that we have to deal with. And one specifically that the agency can 
really demonstrate and provide leadership in. So that's in the technical standards for interoperability. So that's all around how we authenticate, identify, secure information as it flows around the system and ensuring that the payload, if you like, is trusted. So those technical standards for the way in which information flows around the system is really critical and one that I think the agency should make sure that it, it, it enables. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in terms of some of the activity the agency is doing. The other important part of interoperability then is actually in the clinical specifications of the data that then flows between care settings. So a really con good contemporary case study in this is what's happening in aged care. So through the Royal Commission into Aged Care, it's clear in the recommendations that the flow of information in and out of aged care facilities needs to improve. And uh, with specific recommendations about the adoption of the My Health record in, in that as part of the solution. So the challenge really for interoperability, it's, it's not for the agency. So we have, you know, many clinical reference leads. So clinicians who advise are in those working groups and working parties to solve particular problems. So we've got great clinical leadership and advice. However, the role of the agency, we're not, we're not a clinical healthcare provider. You know, so it's it's in my view, and, and this might not be the the view of you know all my colleagues, but in my view, our role is is not to be a standards provider in terms of the those information sets, those clinical reference sets. Our role is to facilitate the exchange of that information in a way that's meaningful for healthcare providers and for consumers, because it's for consumers to establish those clinical specifications of what clinical data should flow around the system and we support clinicians to do that. So specifically when we think then around how interoperability and the role that the agency can play in interoperability, how, how that can happen across Australia, it's to provide a mechanism, a technology mechanism for the exchange of that information. We went to market late last year for a new interoperability platform, Gateway, if you like, for application programming interfaces and data exchange that will adopt contemporary standards for clinical informatics. And, you know, that's really where the agency can add value. So in providing both the technology enablers for information exchange and also the interoperability, the technical standards interoperability so that you know the whole ecosystem can then interoperate more easily and you know it's probably one of the more exciting pieces that I've got responsibility for in the agency is to to establish that that environment and it's not to say it's the only interoperability platform so you know whether the private health care sector or you know pathology providers or secure messaging providers or state jurisdictions, you know, if they want to stand up interoperability, but they do that to the standards that we specify, and then we can federate that interoperability. So that's that's the nirvana, right? So a federated model of interoperability across the broad ecosystem where everyone gets to participate and, you know, everyone can conduct their business in a sustainable way. I just had a flashback from a discussion where I sat on the working group couple of years back and we were talking about interoperability and I don't come from a secure messaging background but there were two very prominent vendors in the room in terms of their size and scale and they clearly had a bias towards their proprietary approach around the standard that they wanted to introduce and I actually made exactly the same comment around interoperability in that it was about meaningful use human to human sharing of uh, information that was valuable clinically and that could actually assist with uh, continuity of care or handover of care or at any point across the continuum of care. Uh, I was actually quite surprised and somewhat intimidated when they rejected that idea and suggested to me that it was about their proprietary standards technically. But, I, you know, I dug my heels in because I'm consumer-oriented and I'm customer-focused. And, you know, I think it's important to actually get the proprietary out of it and find a way for our systems, all the systems that support healthcare users, whether they're health providers or Australians receiving healthcare 
or payers that we can actually move the information around in a meaningful way that does that safely, securely, privately, deals with all those technical uh, aspects, but doesn't necessarily box it in so that it allows healthcare to evolve. And I think to, to the point you made earlier around being an enabler, I think when I read the agency's mission statement, there were words to that effect, I believe, from memory. It was enabling new models of care. And so we can't do that when the only definition for a model of care is uh, HL7 2.3.1 ref message, for example. How can we innovate with that when we need to get how many organisations in a room to discuss a tiny change to one of the data fields that defines that particular ref message standard? How do you see that? I mean, you've already mentioned FHIR, for example, FHIR, and I'll put some links in the, in the show notes for people who are interested in this. Now, I think it's really important for health tech innovators out there to understand that whatever your health tech is, at some point in time, it needs to interoperate with the rest of the healthcare system. So paying attention to where these standards are going and, and why they're so valuable and so beneficial so that you and I as Australians can actually move between different points of care, our information can move seamlessly as required to the extent that it's required. How do you see that idea playing out, that edge between allowing the healthcare information to be as dynamic, let's say, or fluid or evolutionary in terms of where those new models of care are, are going towards whilst keeping some rigid rails in place to make sure that the data flows in a quality standard, in a secure standard, in a privacy standard? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm probably not the most qualified, but I'll, I'll give it a go to talk to this. So part of it is the fact that, you know, HL7 that is responsible for the fire standard, they are building out uh, a large number of fire resources specifically to address what you're talking about. So making sure that the construct of those data sets follows the, the fire nomenclature and the way in which then that data can be interpreted, you know, by the recipient. So that's that's a whole value proposition in fire. And, and what it also means is, you know, moving away from, you know, as you said, some of the earlier HL7 standards, the ability to innovate through being able to stand up a particular fire resource that is, you know, not broadly adopted, but can be interpreted according to the fire standard. That's where the industry in going down that path can not be held up by waiting on agreement for particular information standards in health. And what we should focus on is what are the use cases that really deliver value in the healthcare system? And let's not wait for international ratification of particular fire resources. But if we come together in Australia, for example, say in a particular disease group, take diabetes, for example, if those fire resources aren't defined, then bring the stakeholders together to agree a, a minimum viable data set and put it in a fire structure because the whole benefit of fire is that you can interpret it in any receiver software, providing that, you know, they've adopted fire. And I, I think that's going back to my point that the role of the agency is to enable that the information flow not to establish the standards of what's in the information. I think that's where, you know, collaboration really comes to bear and should be the focus of making sure that the information that's flowing around the system is fit for purpose. And the other point I'll make about that is that I think back to our sort of customer-centred approach, customer experience, when we think about healthcare consumers and citizens, it's my personal view that, uh, we shouldn't do anything about a consumer without them having full knowledge and access and consent processes around that. So as we think about the flow of information and the role the agency would have around the flow of information in the healthcare system, how we expose that for consumers is really important. But we have to do it safely, obviously. You know, they have to be able to interpret that data in a way that doesn't put them at any further clinical risk. Those clinical safety considerations are important, but I think the more we can engage consumers, and I'll quote Donald Berwick, 
from the US who gave an amazing speech back in 1999 called Escape Fire. And he coined the phrase, nothing about me without me, when he was talking about patience. And, and I think that is absolutely the way in which we can engage consumers in healthcare more meaningfully. So interoperability, pretty clear. It's a centerpiece in making it all flow all over the healthcare system in terms of the appropriate level of information that's needed to support health providers and healthcare recipients on their journey towards their healthcare goals. One of the other big opportunities, I guess, for, for digital health right now, to the extent that we're, we're well-equipped, it's low-hanging fruit, what, what do you think Australia's next move in the, in, in the healthcare sector needs to be from a, uh, a digital health standpoint? Pick on the pandemic as a starting point. I think the Australian response to the pandemic has been amazing. You know, supply chain issues aside, the, the fact that this is one of the safest countries in the world to be in, I think, is a great testament to our national response. And looking at this as an opportunity for engaging consumers more in the use of their My Health record. So over you know, nearly 93% of Australians have a My Health record, which is great because we moved to a knocked-out model, so you'd expect it to be pretty high. But what we're finding is that... So consumers will opt out and opt in all the time, but what we're finding at the moment is, you know, a much higher proportion of Australians are deciding to opt back in that had previously opted out because they see the opportunity to view their COVID information within the My Health record. And, you know, part of that is the fact that the vaccination certificate will be available. You can see your vaccination record through the Australian Immunisation Register already in the My Health record. But where the My Health record is more holistic than perhaps other avenues where you might view that information is you can also view your pathology data, which includes your testing. So, you know, where you've had a negative test result or even a positive test result, you know, that information is part of your COVID dashboard, if you like, available through the My Health record. So we, we certainly see the opportunity in how we engage consumers in their healthcare journey. We see the pandemic as, a, as an opportunity to extend our, our engagement with consumers, whereas, you know, generally speaking, people are not that interested in their healthcare if they're well, otherwise well. So it's only when they become ill that all of a sudden healthcare information becomes important to them or, you know, where they become one of the many Australians that live with chronic disease. So there is that opportunity. And I, I think as we can advocate on behalf of consumers through their My Health record, you know, the real opportunity there is to really have consumers engage in their healthcare because ultimately the adoption of digital in in healthcare needs to be driven by consumers. You know, health healthcare providers are wonderful and they do an amazing job in this country, but it's not their key driver. You know, they don't wake up in the morning and go, how can I use digital more in my healthcare practice? But I think in this particular instance, the opportunity is to uh, engage consumers to be you know, more engaged with their healthcare providers over digital. So that, that's one aspect. The other thing I'll talk to briefly is that with our, uh, the National Digital Health Strategy, we are currently uh, about to launch a refresh of that. So it is a really exciting time for, I think, this country to engage in what the future of digital health should look like. So through that National Digital Health Strategy and the way in which we'll engage the full ecosystem, so providers as well as consumers, really gives an opportunity to you know, talk about, well, what is the low-hanging fruit? Where, where can we really shift the needle? And it's not just about uh, illness, it's about wellness as well. How can digital support that? So, you know, there's plenty of things in the work on the dance card for the agency, but I, th I think a really critical one is that new national digital health strategy piece that we're uh, just about to launch. That's going to be really interesting to see. So I, I suspect that that will be a five-year projection in terms of and the mission of the agency is that sort of just roll it forward and take into consideration the, the, the new information. Well, importantly, Yanni, it's, it's a digital health strategy for the country, not just for the agency. So it certainly will inform the agency's work plan, you know, and inform policy level at government. 
but we see it as an opportunity for the entire you know health ecosystem to participate in that and establish objectives you know for the entire ecosystem so you know how how jurisdictions might respond to digital health in terms of the state health and territory health departments how primary care general practice you know how they might participate and respond how specialists might participate and respond so it, it's much broader than just something for the agency it's, it's actually our national digital health strategy for the country that's great and and so would that also include allied health mental physical nutritional health and wellness providers absolutely yeah yep. that's that's so been missing to date it's been a little bit quiet on that front so it's going to be uh, great to see that kind of participation involved as well what about some of the proof of concept stuff that's been going on over the last couple of years? We had the service registration assistant. Have you been across that in your in your time? Yes. So the service registration assistant, which will be, uh, I'm not sure if I can announce, but probably renamed to Provider Connect Australia, is a I system... A, I think it's a better name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Much more meaningful, right? It is, so, yeah. Its, its purpose is to allow healthcare providers to update their details, you know, of where they provide their services, what pro- services they provide, their contact details that can then be consumed by anybody who's interested, you know, as in a, obviously an authorised recipient of that information. And, of course, you know, we have the, through Health Direct, you know, we've, we've got the health services provider directory That'll be a key recipient of that, but it's uh, so we're looking to scale that scale that out. We're just in the planning stage now of how we scale it out for national adoption, and it's proven to be a good example actually of what we were talking about before about our enabling of information exchange, not the holder of the information. You know, so what we didn't do was create an environment where you come to the agency to get the provider information. We can have, you know, multiple like secure messaging vendors, for example, can use it as a source of that information to update their own systems, their provider directories and catalogs. That's certainly one that's proven valuable. There are other proof of concepts which, you know, have looked at how we handle children's health information through, you know, what are in different states, different coloured books. So, you know, blue books and red books and, and that sort of zero to 14 year bracketing of health information from from you know infants through to adolescence and how we can have more meaningful exchange of that information in different care settings so there's been some pilot work in that and that will continue to evolve to become you know national capability and you know importantly to what we were talking about before making sure that it's based on contemporary standards for interoperability as well but you know the the work of the agency moving forward there's going to be a strong focus on aged care through the recommendations of the royal commission that that'll be an important piece of work and we're looking forward to working with you know not just aged care providers but obviously with the aged care software industry around how we can shift the needle on the exchange of information for residents in residential aged care but also looking more broadly at the opportunities to engage aged Australians in their homes as well and how health information can be better managed just in terms of the, their flow of care through, you know, whether it be primary care or the acute setting and, you know, how, how they manage their health care in the home. So there's plenty of work for us to do. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And we haven't even touched on things like uh, biometrics and AI and a, and a whole host of opportunities that will ultimately generate a truckload of data. One that's kind of topical, I guess, I guess in the context of the pandemic response and the lockdowns and the like, has been uh, telehealth. And telehealth is kind of an interesting interpretation of it out in the field. We're seeing GPs generally tend to use telephone, but we are seeing allied health tends to like using the video tools. Is, is there going to be a digital health standard to telehealth that goes national and, and kind of deals with the idea of what is it? And then once we get past the, the obvious stuff, such as voice and video and a little bit of chat, but then how do the clinical workflows then form part of that definition within the context of digital health? Or do we not need to think about that? Yeah. Look, the role of the agency is to 
provide some advice and guidance to providers around the adoption of you know, video conferencing tools and, and capabilities. And we, and we have published, there's actually some, some guidelines around the different platforms and specific risks. You know, security, of course, is really important. So that's all available through our website. So the telehealth standards, if you like, there needs to be more work in, in this area. And, you know, I don't want to speculate as to why general practice hesitant to use video in their telehealth consults as opposed to, you know, just using a mobile phone. But I suspect uh, part of it is just an understanding of, you know, how how video can best be utilised in, in those consults. There, there is work underway in terms of border consultation and working groups around telehealth adoption and, and how we can improve the advice and standards for the use of telehealth in certain settings. I think it's here to stay. The challenge is how do we use it as effectively as we can. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of business productivity tools being used in healthcare to support telehealth services. There's so many vectors of risk in uh, using it where they're detached systems, so another fragment. You're dealing with the exchange of healthcare information in the form of files or perhaps even recordings that are being done uh, in session or collaborative workspaces, for example, the whiteboards and the like. All of these things ultimately leave a footprint either in the browser cache or alternatively get downloaded onto a local device. I think a lot of healthcare providers don't think that through. And so, you know, I think there's a big opportunity for Australian health tech providers to actually think through what telehealth is for Australian healthcare providers, taking into consideration that human-centred design, understanding what a clinical workflow might look like, but do the integration and actually make it as seamless as possible so that there's no break in the chain of custody as far as any healthcare information that's distributed during that session. And it's only the intended parties or the participants in that call that only get access to it. And I think it's not as uh, well represented out there at the moment. There, there seems to be, well, first there was this mad rush, we have to pivot because the world just changed. So that was last year. But now we've sort of moved down and some of those decisions that were made during that first lockdown have become habits now. They're, they're kind of baked into business workflows, so to speak, in, in the healthcare settings. There could be some real value in actually providing some guidance around the difference between communicating online using all of the amazing communication tools that are out there versus delivering healthcare online, which incorporates communication. Yeah, great opportunity for the software vendor community to really be thinking about, well, how do we actually integrate it properly into workflows? So it's not just another tech that sits to the side. Yeah. And uh, I think when they crack that nut, then we'll see you know much better adoption and, and the, the value that can ultimately be delivered through that. So at the, at the moment, that's probably the key reason why a lot of primary care physicians are opting just to pick up their mobile phone and make a voice call. Yeah, and, and probably not getting a call back on Skype or something along those lines. Correct, yes. Well, that's terrific, Mal. I usually like to ask the question, what do you think the world's going to look like in uh, five years' time, five to ten years' time, if you get it your way? Well, yeah, look, I'll happily answer that from two perspectives. So so one is, you know, from the agency's perspective, it will be to deliver on this next national digital health strategy. So how we can support that. I think the future world of interoperability is one that we've talked to where we really do become an enabler of federated interoperability across the ecosystem. So we're not the only provider, but we provide those technical standards for interoperability that everyone can adhere to and that that can work. You know, personally, I see, I hope for a future where healthcare consumers are much more empowered in their healthcare journey, where they use information to be advocates for their own health in a meaningful way. And as a consequence of that, we have a much safer health system for everybody. Ultimately, we'll see a significant acceleration of machine learning and artificial intelligence being integrated into the healthcare environment. And hopefully we do that with the appropriate level of ethics and understanding of the implications of those machine learning-based decisions or analytics or prescriptive analytics. But really my hope is that consumers are much more engaged and empowered as we move forward. 
That is a great vision and there's just so many adjacent opportunities there to actually really bring in that kind of pushing the boundaries, I guess, of models of care, not disruption, but just enhancement in terms of what are the models of care of the future, given that we can actually interoperate and given where the state of the world is technologically and how integrated that is around the individual and their lifestyle. So the idea is answering a a key question of how does healthcare fit into the life, the schedules, the goals, the aspirations of an individual. And arguably, we could say that the primary access point for healthcare is wherever the human is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think what we will see in the next decade is much greater consumerization of healthcare technology. So, you know, classic example is I don't need to see a practice nurse or go to a GP clinic to monitor my, you know, vital signs, blood pressure, blood glucose, all the things that might put me at risk. Technology will be there available to me wherever I am to be able to to monitor the things that give me an indication of whether I'm on track for better healthcare or not. So I think consumerization of health technology uh, will be a big thing in the future. And as a consequence of that, the consumer can't help but be a disruptor in healthcare. And I really look forward to that day. You know, I've seen too many examples in my career in health IT of preventable errors that occur in healthcare settings and even in my own journey. So seeing the opportunity for consumers to be digital disruptors moving forward would be a great thing. And it's, it's not to say that healthcare providers are not absolutely focused on safety and quality. You know, they do an, a marvellous job, but they're overwhelmed with information. Sometimes the information's not timely. Dr. Malcolm Thatcher, thank you so much for coming in and having a chat with me today. It's been a delight and a pleasure and I really appreciate uh, the good work that you're doing at the agency and looking forward to seeing the the strategy plan come out in the not too distant future for the next five years. Perhaps um, we can have you and possibly even Stephen come in and have a talk about that once it's actually in the public domain. But thank you once again for making the time today. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, Yanni. Great conversation. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.